You're listening to The Bible for Normal People, the only God-ordained podcast on the internet. Serious talk about the sacred book. I'm Pete Enns. And I'm Jared Bias. Welcome back, everyone, to this first episode of Season 2 of The Bible for Normal People. We're excited to have more conversations about what the Bible is, what we do with it. And today our topic is Changing Your Mind About the Bible, A Survivor's Guide. And we have Jen Hatmaker on, and what a delight to talk with. She's the author of of Mess and Moxie, Wrangling Delight Out of This Wild and Glorious Life. She was also, her and her family were featured on HGTV in an eight-episode series called My Big Family Renovation. But we talk today about this idea of what happens when you change your mind about the Bible and the impact that that can have on your life, your family, your friends yourself. Yeah, I mean, one thing, Jared, you and I have talked about a lot and thought about is the emotional, psychological impact, which everyone feels when they were an insider, and then they become an outsider in some group that you belong to. And, you know, Jen has a story like so many other people have, with one big difference. This was very, very public. And, you know, I'll tell you, there's nothing like being treated really unjustly on the internet, because you can't control it, you know, and and you get it from all sides. And somebody like Jen has been, uh, you know, she says she's not brave, and I understand what she means by that. But to to live through that is very, very difficult. And all because she decided with her husband to change her views on some things, one of which is a human sexuality. And, you know, the 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 hate mail and and the 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 assumptions about them were being made very openly and that takes an emotional toll that's the point now, th- this gets beyond merely theological positions it takes a toll on people when they're just feeling isolated and there's nowhere to go but it also you know what i appreciate about in our conversation is it has if we if our faith is so practical it's not theology isn't just in our head but it is how we treat people how our communities treat us when we do change our mind about these things. And that comes from our view of the Bible, comes from our view of God and our view of ourselves. So, it is wrapped into that conversation. Um, And again, our hope is with this podcast and and Jen as an ally and, and many others of opening these spaces where more and more we can have conversations without fear of retribution from our community about the things that we believe. And as, you know, Jen's story, you know, ends, I guess, pretty well, uh, you you find new communities and you find other misfits, so to speak, who are out there and, and, and learning to live in new communities. And in other words, there's life that comes after the death, so to speak. And I think that was a very encouraging thing to hear from Jen uh, as we spoke with her. All right. Well, I'm excited about this season. So let's get started. I didn't grow up in an environment where questions were asked, much less welcomed. I didn't even know we could do that. I had no idea that we had permission to press hard on our faith. All that to say, I was solidly an adult before I gave myself permission to become a critical thinker about faith, about the Bible, about cultural understandings of all of those things. Well, Jen Hatmaker, welcome to our podcast. We're so excited to have you here. Thanks, you guys. Really great to be here with you. Excellent. So, you know, one of the things we wanted to jump into this season, because a lot of our listeners have expressed stories, and Pete and I, we have personal stories as well Mm. of just the pain that can come from changing our mind about the Mm. Bible, 
about God and, you know, listening to this podcast and other podcasts can cause some new thoughts and minds can be changed and how painful that can be in our community. So we just wanted to, knowing a little of your story, why don't you give a little background and and maybe how that intersects with with what you've experienced? First of all, thank you guys for providing a space for it. I think that this is a lonely space. It's lonely to ask questions that you've never asked before. It's scary. It's disorienting. You're not sure if there's a greater conversation you can hook into or not. You don't know where these people are. And the voice of dissent is the one that feels first and it feels the clearest and certainly the loudest. And so podcasts like yours are truly, I don't, I'm not trying to be dramatic, except that I'm always dramatic, but they're monumental to those of us who are asking new questions and listening to different interpretations or perspectives. And even just the sense of not being alone is such a big deal. It's such a relief, such a welcome space to engage in. So thank you. I commend you. I commend you for creating a place. I think it's really, really important right now that some of our smart intellectual leaders, obviously like you too. Checks on the mail, Jen. Thank you. Yes, exactly, exactly. But one thing that you do for a big, large, enormous group of us, which I'm sure you hear all the time, is you lend us language sometimes that we need even just to get out of the starting blocks. And then it's this this wonderful sense of unselfconscious exploration that is hard to find, honestly. And so I'm completely into your podcast. And in fact, today, I was just listening to one of your episodes, to your episode on, you know, divine violence. It was just light, easy, breezy conversation. And just thinking, what good conversation. This is so good for the body of Christ. Okay, so. A light, easy, breezy discussion on divine violence. Obviously. There's something wrong with that. Yes. Yes. I'm like, you know what? I really want just something I could just skip through with like really no emotional investment. How about divine violence? Yeah. Anyways. So I can tell you, I have so much empathy and connection to some of your history and some of the stories that you both have experienced and that you steward. Um, Obviously, a lot of your listeners are going to have a lot of familiar stories as well. As for me, I grew up incredibly traditional, straight up Southern Baptist, exactly like what you think. I was the child of that tradition. I was the youth group kid of that tradition. I went on to be the college kid of that tradition, doing the right thing by A, going to a Southern Baptist college, and B, making sure that I got married before I left. And so I didn't grow up in an environment where questions were asked, much less welcomed. That just I didn't even know we could do that. I had no idea that we had permission to press hard on our faith. Of course, this was always, to me, couched as a not just a duty, but really an indicator of faithfulness. You know, that asking questions or doubting or pushing on an interpretation or listening to a teacher outside of our stream, that was definitely shady. That indicated that something is really off with you. So, all that to say, I was solidly an adult before I gave myself permission to become a critical thinker about faith, about the Bible, about cultural understandings of all of those things. And so, if we just want to zip forward to 
where we're at today, I would say probably what has landed me in the news, which is delightful. It's just so great. I love the internet has sort of been my, my husband, Brandon and I, and we've been in full-time ministry our whole adult lives. We started a church here in Austin t- a decade ago, but we've served in full-time church work since we got out of college, uh, you know, where we in the last few years really were just incredibly uncomfortable and living in the tension of what was our and what is sort of the widely held position in certain circles on human sexuality, specifically just the LGBTQ community and their place in God's kingdom and what sort of path was available to them and the way that this has been packaged, interpreted, and handled in our specific culture. And so as that theology for us shifted, and as you know, that was a lot of work. That was a lot of labor. It wasn't just a feeling. That was incredible amount of study and inquiry and new relationships and hard conversations and prayer, which is years, years. And and our theology moved on that topic and that for us, we're fully convinced and convicted that our LGBTQ friends and neighbors should be fully welcome um, into the church, into leadership, into life of faith. So obviously, that put me at odds with a great deal of at least commercial Christianity, where I have resided for some time. Commercial Christianity gave me a career, so it's no small connection. And then that's been a little bit over a year ago, and so we're sort of living in our new normal now. I I think, you know, one thing that I would just follow up with, Jen, is, you know, were there particular moments where you kind of knew what you were getting into in terms of, we know this is going to be a painful road, or was that more of a surprise to you that you thought, you know, these people who are close to me, and maybe that would be a question is, did anyone close to you, were those hard relationships? Or was it more just the commercial, you know, the publishers and these people who were giving a backlash? Or was it more personal in the journey? Those are great questions. I'll answer the first one. We 100% knew what we were getting into. So this is not a new space. It's not a new conversation. We've watched like everybody else who's paying attention to leaders and theologians and pastors um, who had gone before us and shifted specifically in this area. Others have a very actually similar feel, but you know, to our story on this topic. So we we a hundred percent knew what was going to happen. It was absolutely not a mystery. It was not a surprise. If anything was a surprise, I would say that it was the ferocity of it. I, I was not all the way ready for that. I certainly knew what to expect. And I knew that I had built a ministry in some spaces that that, that I was no longer going to be welcome with this theology in hand. But I don't think I was prepared for the volume of it, for the the mean-spirited nature of so much of it, for the misogyny that was going to be built in. Uh, That surprised me a little bit as a woman an, an evangelical leader um, who sort of came forward as opposed to a man. I feel like I was treated in a different way. And so that took us out. I mean, I, I would like to, I would like to 
to sound more dignified and courageous right now, but the truth is it laid us flat and it was pretty crushing. So I, uh, and of course then within, as, as we said, commercial Christianity, which I say that tongue in cheek because I have very much deeply been a part of that. So I, I get the irony here. Um, but of course, in that space, a theology shift of this nature, and really you can fill in the blank on several other categories, is very financially punitive as well. So, you know, there was this subsequent cancellation of events, and we don't want you to write our forward anymore. We're pulling your books off our shelves. We're pulling this book out of print. And th- those have very real effects. That's not, it's not small. And the combined effect of it was, it was fairly devastating. Again, we knew most of that going in. So um, then to your second question, I would say the most brutal elements of that backlash lived on the internet where all the faux outrage gets its juice. So, you know, just no end of articles and hit pieces and satire size. It was just endless. It felt like a tsunami. Um, That's where most of it lived. Closer in, it was both kinder and harder. I don't know how else to describe it in that the tone of it was different in that these are friends and church members uh, because we also walked our church at the same time through this process of being an affirming church. And so that obviously also included loss and change. And so I found that space to be actually more painful to navigate because those were real people, real friends, real community members, real church partners. But also it was less hateful. People were less likely to burn down our whole ministry or discredit everything we've ever said or done. And so it was kind of a both and scenario and both were challenging. Yeah, that must have been very hard because, you know, many people <coughs> do things, but not with the exposure that you and Brandon both went through this, you know, that's, he's, he's not a bystander in this, that's right. uh, but because of your public profile, it's even harder. And people write hit pieces, as you said, on public figures. And, and I, something you said earlier, Jen, was very interesting to me because th- those criticisms tend to hit first and loudest and I've thought in my own life, like, why is that? <laughs> you know, why, why do we, and, and, and I think no one really escapes this, but why is that so emotionally difficult for us? Because it is to hear criticism from people we don't know. I know. I wish I would have had the internal fortitude to resist that in a stronger, braver way. I think for me, I don't know that there's one universal answer here, but I can tell you in my experience, that criticism stung so deeply and cut so deeply because at its core, so first of all, it was people who didn't know us. And at its core, it dismantled our, what I hold incredibly dear, which is our faithfulness, our our, our commitment to Scripture and to living it out with integrity, our love of the church, our unwavering devotion to Jesus, all those things that have marked our entire lives that we have given our lives over to, those were the things on the chopping block. And so to be painted 
as a heretic with no regard for scripture, who is throwing it all out for the sake of her feelings, and that's where the misogyny came in, uh, very much painted as a hysterical woman who feels too much, and not to have no honoring of the deeply academic, intellectual, spiritual process that brought us to that point. I think that's what hurt the most. I felt mischaracterized and misrepresented, certainly misunderstood, and then all by people who don't know us, have never had any contact with us in ministry, in church, in our work, and just from the comfort of their armchair, were prepared to burn down 20 years of faithful service. So I think it was a combination for me of just shock and fury, and then just a basic case of incredibly hurt feelings. And so those combined to freeze us into a a state of paralysis for a few months. I won't lie to you. We needed counseling. We, it took a, I would say all of 2017 was a year of recovery in which we deeply had to work on that process of healing and our people too. It wasn't just us. Anybody who had ever been my friend, who had ever been in ministry with either one of us, who had ever been at our church, who had ever read a book of mine, who ever had my name in their mouth, had to then account for their relationship to me, to their Aunt Linda, and to their neighbor, and to their pastor. A lot of our friends lost their positions. Some of their relationships went wobbly. and, And so, that residual pain to our community was even worse. That was the one of the worst things that we endured was the price that everybody else had to pay who were even remotely connected to us. Really painful. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know, that I just want to, I think, highlight that because, one, that certainly resonates with my story. I just remember, you know, in my own transformation, or I would say, you know, just process going through, changing my mind about things. That was, sure. again you just named it so well, the pain of thinking that I was doing the right thing mm-hmm. by being more thoughtful, more studious, taking the Bible more seriously. And all that came out of it was accusations of taking the Bible not seriously. That's right. And being unfaithful to the text. When all along, my motivation and my thought process was I'm doing more of that. And look at these conclusions I'm coming to and that hurt of not getting the benefit of the doubt of that. So, and I I think our listeners would have a similar experience for that of this genuine, sincere desire to go deeper and the conclusions that leads to and how that's so unwelcome in a lot of communities. But, and I don't want to, I don't at all want to disrespect your story. My question may seem like that. So just tell me if it does, but I'm always interested in the empathy of this. Like as you've gone through this process of healing, what are some insights that you've gained about the community that you once belonged to, the people online who hold these certain beliefs, 
have you come to any realizations or insights about who they are and what motivates them to lash out in the way that they did? I think that's a great question. And that's really important to me too. I deeply did not want to emerge from this season and this shift bitter and cynical. That serves nobody. And that actually is, uh, I cannot thrive like that. That is not just a, a general way in which I'm going to be able to operate functionally. And so empathy to me, forgiveness, a deep well of compassion, all those were real key values in the recovery process. And, and frankly, this is not a big reach for me. I came from that. I, I grew up in that. I, um, I, I do understand it because that was my experience and my approach to scripture and to hard questions virtually my whole life. So it, it's no mystery. I think what's under it, it's too easy. I don't want to paint it with too simple a brush because it's not just one thing, but there is a fear. Uh, there's a deep-seated fear when believers, especially leaders that you respect, that you trust, that you have followed and learned from and listened to, when they begin to ask hard questions of things that you have either not ever investigated yourself or um, haven't been given permission to, you're not in a community that does that well, it's scary. It's just scary. And it's a lot of questions that you guys hear all the time, like, well, then what can I trust? Right. And what, what of the Bible can I believe? And where is God in all of this? And are you just throwing this out? And so I have empathy for that. I do. I really, I have empathy for the concern that if you pull the thread in one area, that the whole thing will unravel. And I I think that was probably, that was probably how I would have thought 10 years ago. So um, I try to give the benefit of the doubt to a great majority of, of folks that have struggled, that this is just, this is pushing a really uncomfortable button. And it actually raises more questions than it answers. And that process, that journey, which I'm on now in a lot of ways, you guys have been on and you're great leaders in this space. It's just not one that everybody wants to set their feet on and it, it concerns them. And so I think I've got that deep sense of compassion for that space. And then again, I can even look to my own experience, you guys, and say, even five years ago, there were people offering ideas similar to what they would hear on this podcast, on your podcast. And I wasn't all the way ready to, I'm not sure, embrace it or investigate it or really consider those deeply, but there was something there that stuck. So there were a hundred breadcrumbs dropped into my soul before I was ready to pick one up and take a bite. And so I also am aware that my story is so little, but it might be one breadcrumb where somebody considers the idea that they might have permission to take the Bible incredibly seriously by asking hard questions of it. So um, I try to hold on to that. I try to cling to that, and I try to treat my critics with the fairness that I wish they would have treated me with. What you're describing is something that I think we can relate to here, and a lot of other people can as well. And what's difficult is when you're raised in the faith where there's no room for gray, and you're introducing gray into people's lives, and I think that's probably very difficult for them. And it really does come down to... I mean, again, like you, I don't want to be simplistic either and paint everything with one brush, but 
if you're raised in a way where the Bible simply gives you <coughs> answers on pretty much everything you want to ask it, yes, there isn't any room for questioning or even, I'm going to use the word interrogating the Bible. Not because we disrespect it, but for the very opposite reasons, because we do respect it. And it almost invites it. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's a shame when people's spiritual development is rooted in a way of thinking that I would say the Bible itself calls into question, which is you never have to think for yourself. You never have to figure things out. It's all handed to you on a silver platter. All the answers to life are just right there. Yes. And that's a difficult way to live, but it's also a comforting way to live, you know, because I think you can relate yes. to that, right? It's, it's nice having the answers and we've all been there. So comforting. So for a season, that exact structure is like a balm. It sort of provides this sense of certainty in a world where certainty is, is increasingly rare. And for me, I don't know if this is personality driven at all, but for me, I'm a very um, type A, believe it or not, rule follower, which now seems absurd. I really am. And doing the right thing is a is a key value for me, which is honestly what ultimately drove a lot of my shifting. And so for a season, that sense of certainty was wonderful and uh, made me feel safe, and I think makes a lot of people feel safe. But of course, upon scrutiny, it breaks down. Because as always, we come to Scripture, and, and the things that we say are certain are obviously not certain to other people with a completely different set of experiences or circumstances or um, what they are bringing to the table of interpretation. And, and so, Certainty really only works in an echo chamber, obviously. I mean, that is only fair when everybody has a very similar homogenous approach um, and experience to Scripture at the time. And so for me, it's interesting when I think about what were some of the early tremors in that scaffolding for me, because that was a rock-solid bank of non-negotiables that I, I hung on to for a really long time. Interestingly, uh, in our world, the beginning of some of that unraveling was simply our personal connection to and exposure to poverty, if you can believe this. I just, we had spent a, the majority of our adult life in basically affluent churches, all white. So, it just incredibly homogenous set of experiences and people. And so our exposure to poverty, when that was a, a piece that God sort of wrote into our story, is really what started some of the early tremors because some of your certainties break down upon a greater exposure. Because if it's not also true for a abused, poor, addicted, homeless woman, then it's not true, right? So some of the the doctrines that I was holding dear really only applied to me and my friends. When I tried to apply it to people on the margins, they were disintegrating. Um, and so um, that begun uh, a spiritual quest, for lack of a better term, that ultimately has reached to a lot of other categories and a lot of other people groups. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but we want to take just one minute to mention two simple ways to support the work we do with the Bible for Normal People. One, 
Just go to iTunes, rate us, give us a review, but only if you like us. If not, ignore this message completely. Two, if you haven't already, check us out on Patreon, patreon.com front slash the Bible for normal people. There are ways there to join the conversation, contribute to the discussion, and offer your support at various levels. And last but not least, we want to give our deepest thanks to some of the members of our producers group. These folks not only email us feedback, but also hop on feedback calls quarterly and have supported us financially. So thanks to Kristen Backman, Ted Cole, James White, Scott Smith, Darlene Sinclair, Jonathan Beck, Marilyn Johnson, Daniel Wesley, Darren McKenna, and Sharon Rowland. Without you, we couldn't do what we do. Now back to the podcast. Yeah, so you mentioned some experiences <coughs> that were what I'd maybe call kind of aha moments or at least tremors. And were there other, maybe within the Bible itself, you know, you talked about being more studious and taking about, you can, can you recall any aha moments within the Bible that you thought, oh, it, it, a, a shift occurred in how you saw that passage or how you saw this, it, of course, in tandem or parallel with these experiences of poverty and other things. Were there particular moments that come to mind? Well, early on, initially, especially with the, um, as, as we began to, to sincerely intersect the world of the poor, for me, it was a very simple realization that I had just simply, and this is just lazy, but I had just simply taken parts of the Bible that I liked and to the exclusion of so much of the rest of it. And so... No one's ever done that, Jen. <laughs> You're the only guess, person I know right. who's ever done that. Um, right. I've, I've got to be the only one who fell victim to that. Um, so for me, it was just simply a matter of saying, I think that a great deal of scriptural discussion on injustice and poverty is serious. <laughs> I think God meant that. And that was that was sort of the beginning of that. In terms of, to, to our original discussion, our approach to the LGBTQ theology, and golly, I, I, there's just no end of how many books we read and how many teachers we listened to and how many conversations we engaged and um, a sense of investigation just permeated our spiritual lives for probably two or three years, to be honest. But if I had to pick a biblical spot that deeply, deeply affected us on our understanding, obviously so much of what's written about homosexuality, if you will, in scripture is contextually bound. And there's not much in there, frankly, but it's deeply bound to culture, to religious norms, just like a thousand other points in the Bible are as well. But when we struggled to find clarity, when the Bible just refused to cooperate on perfect clarity, which is what we wanted, that's what I've always wanted. And I think that's where you know, the the paths diverge onto what we expect out of the Bible and what we think it's going to deliver. And I was still looking for rock-solid, crystal-clear clarity, and we were struggling to find it because so many interpretations just contradicted it. And, and one would pull up this piece, and one would pull up this piece, and it was hard to know what to do. It was actually Jesus's teaching on fruit that locked us in hard when you know, basically Jesus is like, okay, well, some things are hard to understand. Some things are confusing. 
people are confusing, there's conflict. So when you're not sure, you know, when, when there's something, be it a, a relationship or a person or a doctor and whatever, um, that feels ambiguous or it feels contentious or there's tension around its interpretation, look to the fruit. Like the fruit's going to tell you the truth because ultimately, one no, however you slice it, you know, a, a good tree is going to bear good fruit and a bad tree is going to bear bad fruit. And there you go. There's a clue. You know, that's a clue that I feel like Jesus put into the hands of future believers as we were going to do our generation's work of pressing on scripture and finding the threads of truth and how do we interpret it and apply it to our lives at this time. And so, it was the fruit that I couldn't sleep over. When I looked to the fruit of the non-affirming Christian tree, the fruit was so universally bad. It was suicide. It was broken families. It was um, folks kicked out of their churches. It was homeless teenagers. It was self-hatred and self-harm and depression, crushing loneliness, separation from God, self-imposed. And I mean, there was the occasional shiny apple from that tree. And those, those are the apples that that camp holds up. But look at this apple. Look at this good one. It's a beauty. But it's rare. If we're being honest, the fruit of the tree is rotten. And then, again, exposure. Exposure is such a great teacher. When we begin to be exposed to the to the fruit of affirming the affirming Christian tree, and so we see just gay men and women thriving and welcomed and affirmed and leading, using their gifts to build the body of Christ and to serve the world well. The fruit was so universally good. (laughs) There was just so much joy and life and health there. And I just couldn't deny it. I mean, that I could not make that formula work any other way than the way it was working. And so that gave us the confidence to continue pressing until we felt convinced that God would have us open our arms wide to our LGBTQ friends and neighbors and welcome them into the church as they are. You know, Jen, you're describing so clearly a process that, again, many people have experienced themselves. And, you know, it, it seems like, you know, I mean, if I'm, if I'm overstating, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it seems like you started with a moment where your experience of life didn't connect well with how you were taught the Bible acts. That's right. And so there's a deep disconnect and you chose to explore that possibility and explore the experience more deeply. And as a result, then you come back and you rediscover the Bible, you know, the teaching of the fruit. And you start saying, listen, actually there are all these wonderful parts of the Bible that actually connect with my experience. And I would even be, I would even put it as strongly as this. I think it's our sacred responsibility to always be thinking about how this ancient faith, which is rooted in an ancient text, how it has developed and changed over two millennia now. And we have that responsibility to connect with our circumstances, which aren't scripted for us. That's right. But you, but when you do that, as you found out, you know, when you do that, there are, people have to be ready to hear that. Their soul has to be ready to hear that. And if it's not, 
you know, there, there are more of them out there you know, than there are people who have, you know, um, become comfortable with that kind of a process. And I guess the backlash comes. And there's precedence for it. You know, we can look, we've got the benefit of hindsight, which is wonderful. So, you know, we can look back over the arc of, well, church history, for lack of a better term, just generation after generation of people doing the work in their time in their culture and in their context to be faithful to God. And so obviously we have the gift of looking backwards to see all the other places where the church collectively decided, or in large part, you know, there's never been unanimity ever on anything, but in large part decided, I think we've understood this incorrectly, or there is a, a an arc of liberation to the way we've understood this specific doctrine or this specific people group. And, you know, we sort of watch freedom roll out, you know, generation after generation. And, but, you know, also with that hindsight, we get to see how hard it was for, for the folks in that time that were early adopters, you know, the ones who asked first, the ones who went against the grain, you know, before everybody else did it. And it's always been hard. This has always been a challenge this sort of push and pull. And we've always tried to work this out in community. And so in a lot of ways, that's comforting. You know, that's comforting, of course, when I'm feeling petty, which is sometimes you guys, I'm not always godly. Um, I just occasionally and it's a very small piece of me. But Uh, when I am in this podcast now, yeah, we're running out of time, Jen. Um, (laughs) When I am feeling petty, I want to roll out for my critics, the myriad of places in scripture where they have given themselves full permission to interpret that differently than early church fathers. And they are legion. There's a million places, and they typically benefit my critics. And so, you know, those changes, of course, well, those make sense. You know, we know better now. We've, we've lived a different story. Those were contextually bound. And so, the truth is, everybody approaches Scripture like that. None of us, none of us obey it on its face. None of us. And so I think for us in our generation, this is going to be one of the key conversations. And the future church will look back on it differently and with different eyes and with different understanding. And so in some ways, I embrace and I welcome the tension. I think this is good. I think it's always been good. I think God invites us into a spirit of inquiry. And somehow, His Word continues just a century after century to to lead us well and to to teach us well and to advise us well and it continues to hold um, and so I'm no longer afraid of the questions and I'm not even afraid of the pushback I think it's I think it's worth it and I I think that we join a legion of people who came before us and did that sort of work in their time and to great effect to great effect, to greater freedom, to greater liberation, to greater inclusion, um, to greater compassion and wisdom and wholeness and health. And so it feels kind of good to take our place in that great tradition of investigation where we both hold our text incredibly dearly and take it incredibly seriously, but do so with a sense of humility and curiosity and openness. Um, I I think it's a good path. I think it's a good journey. And it's not for the faint of heart. 
but I do believe it will serve its time in our generation. Well, Jen, we've—I mean, that's that's beautiful, and we agree wholeheartedly. We, we've had on the podcast a number of Jewish guests who, you know, and Judaism has a little bit of a different approach to the Bible, generally speaking, than you know the fundamentalist and evangelical approach. I don't mean that in a negative sense, uh-huh. just a descriptive sense, but you know, you're expected to debate and engage much like the book of Job mm, or Ecclesiastes right. or Lament Psalms. It's, it's there. You engage God best when you're honest and when you debate with each other and not break off fellowship because you disagree. Mm. And that's, that's a hard lesson. You know, one of my professors we had on here, John Levinson, uh, would say something like, you know, for Jews, the Bible is a problem to solve. Mm. For Christians, it's a message a unified message to be proclaimed. So you can't have gray areas. Wow. Very good. And I think that's a very profound insight of his and he's Jewish. He's not even Christian, Mm -hmm. but you know, I think we we live with that uh, of, of being a part of a tradition where the book has become something of a constitution. That's Brian McLaren uses Mm -hmm. language like that. And we have to sort of get it right. And that's right. Um, rather than, you know, the, the word is active, and I take the word to be the spirit is active and a part of the life of the church, and we have to take the Bible seriously. But taking it seriously doesn't necessarily mean saying it's done all the thinking for us. That's right. We have to take that responsibility, and, I, and, you're, and you're doing that, and I think it's fantastic. You know, I appreciate so much what you're saying, and your really strong teaching to that end. And, and I will say that for whatever chaos is inflicted by the greater evangelical community and where that feels harsh and punitive and contentious— it's the opposite effect internally to be on a journey like this. Internally, sort of just in partnership with the Holy Spirit, it feels free and it feels safe and it feels strong and smart and good. And so I would say what's gone on in our hearts and souls has been deeply, deeply nourishing, even as some of the uh, just chaos around us is loud and punishing. And so again, sort of going toward experience, which is generally frowned upon, obviously, in the get it right culture. But experience matters. And experience is how everybody in scripture ever came to God. Experience is giving us a different story, which is, this is a wonderful, wonderful road to be on in partnership with the Holy Spirit. And and I don't think I have it any other way. Excellent. Yeah. It, you know, that reminds me, Jen, too, of, I think it's John, where he says, uh, that which we've seen and that which we've heard, we proclaim to you. Mm, very good. It's experience-based. That's what That's we're right. proclaiming is our, is our experience. And in a lot of ways, that is the good news. Um, that is the gospel. So we're, we're coming to the end of our time, if you can believe it. I think this went by really fast. It's a great really fast. Oh, yeah. Um, but we want to give you a minute here. You know, do you have any projects that you're working on or anything you would point our uh, listeners to that, that you're working on or anything you want to um, talk about here? Sure. Thanks. Your listeners can find everything that I do over on my website. That's over at jenhatmaker.com. And 
I fire back up on tour with my really good friend, Nicole Nordeman in two weeks. We've got a, a speaking tour that we've done together and it's very meaningful. It's very dear. It's very simple, but sincere. And they're one night events. And so all those dates are over on my website too. And for the, for the upcoming tour. And then I have a podcast too, which I love podcast. Podcasting is so fun. You guys like getting to sit here and talk to you and have this amazing conversation. This is exactly why I like doing and in this. In our pajamas. <laughs> well, you saw me. So you already know that that's true. Um, and so uh, I read, I have a podcast too, and all that information is over on my, on my website too. So thanks. And thanks for having me on today. Thank you for the space that you've built and the freedom that it offers so many of us and for giving me a chance to talk with you a little bit. I've just loved every minute of it. And I need to do this, Jen, a very quick shout out. My adult daughter, Elizabeth, thinks you hung the moon. And, uh, she's very jealous that I'm talking to you. And- that's so nice. Oh, that's so sweet. Give her all my love. And I, I will. Mean that. You know, uh, Jen, I, it, before we go, I think uh, as a send off here, I would just be interested because you've had this experience over 2017, just if you would have any kind of parting words or, or words of advice of people who maybe are listening and going through that painful process right now of mm. feeling ostracized or, or um, outcasted by their community or their family or friends because mm. of their changing beliefs. Would you have any words of yeah. wisdom? They have my deepest sympathy. I know how that feels. You guys do too. That sense of fear and loneliness and tension. I I know what it's like. Uh, If I had any hope to offer, I would tell you that one thing we've discovered on this side of it, uh, our lives have become so incredibly expansive. I cannot believe our good fortune to have brought in the new relationships that we now have, new friends that we have now made, leaders who have connected with us out of different spaces and new spaces, the way that our church now looks demographic-wise. And then just, it's funny, the misfits find their way to one another. And so, just when I thought that I was leaving a structure where I was banished and doomed to wander the wilderness by myself the rest of my life, I get out to the wilderness and find it fairly populated. And it's kind of wild out here, just a bunch of people in tambourines and, you know, it's just sort of a ruckus. Um, But there's great joy out here too. And I realize gosh, some of the outliers and the question askers and the troublemakers, if you will, and the rabble rousers, they've always lived out here. And there's a real thriving community out here too. And God is cherished out here too. And the Bible is beloved out here too. And the Holy Spirit is moving among us out here too. And so, if it feels like the end of the world, it's only the end of one world. There's another world And it is full of beautiful, beautiful, wild people who are loving God well and loving each other well. And so I would tell your listeners who are in the season of lonely to just stay the course. I think you'll find it worth it. I think you'll find the final destination here if we ever even really get to a final destination. But I think you'll find it full of joy and full of life. And you will not look back on this season with regret, but with gratitude for where it brought you. Excellent. Thank you for that benediction as we part ways here. That's right. Thank you so much, Jen, for being here with us. We had a great time. Say my absolute pleasure, you guys. Thank you. You bet. Well, that was great. Wasn't it, Jared? That was wonderful. Excellent. Yeah. Hey, people, thanks for listening to our first episode of Season 2 with Jen Hatmaker. If you want to find out more about her, uh, just open your eyes. 
and read stuff or just go on the interwebs there's and find great, her. There's this great thing called Google yes. I found out about. <laughs> it's amazing. So, uh, yeah, it was great to have her on the podcast. And, you know, one of the things we talked about was creating spaces. And that was our vision uh, for Patreon, our community online at patreon.com, front slash the Bible for normal people, as well as the website, the Bible for normal people.com or pedens.com, where we have these conversations a lot and hopefully we are creating safe places. So if you want to check more uh, into those, you can go to the Bible for normal people.com or patreon.com, front slash the Bible for normal people. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. See ya.